Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Isaiah. We better move on. Isaiah chapter 43. And for those of you who haven't been with us over the last couple of weeks, we are building something here on a word the Lord has given us about 2024. And he spoke to us in the closing days of last year as we came into this one. He said, 2024 will be a year like never before. Glory to God. And then he began adding words to that for us. He added the word unusual. Somebody say unusual. unusual. Uncommon. Unfamiliar. Unfamiliar. In seeking the Lord about that, the witness that I got on the inside was the Lord was saying this to us. If you will expect the uncommon and embrace the unusual or the unfamiliar, you will encounter the unimaginable. If you'll expect the uncommon. Now just stop right there for a moment. Naturally speaking, we don't tend to expect the uncommon. What do we tend to expect? The common. We tend to wake up every day expecting it to be a whole lot like, if not exactly like yesterday and the day before and the day before. And people are living every day on earth like they're going to do this forever. Like they're just going to keep repeating the same thing over and over and over. There's no built in expectation for the uncommon. And yet the Lord is saying to us, I want you to wake up every day with an expectation of the uncommon. Expect to see, experience something today from him, of him that you didn't see yesterday, that you didn't encounter yesterday. Develop an expectation for the uncommon. And when you come across something uncommon, what did he say? Embrace it. <laughs> to embrace, the opposite of that would be to resist, to push away from you. And that's the tendency that we have to do with things that are unusual in our lives, things that are foreign, things we haven't experienced before. There's not an automatic tendency to embrace. Too often there's a tendency to resist it but he's telling us embrace it. And the result will be you will encounter the unimaginable things you haven't imagined. Didn't he say in scripture, I can do above all that you ask, think, or imagine? The promise here is you will encounter things. You will see things, not only things you've never seen before, things nobody's seen before. But what he's requiring of us is a higher expectation. And when we do encounter some things that are out of the ordinary, that we didn't see yesterday or the day before, what's he telling you to do? Don't resist it. Don't fight it. Embrace it. And we will encounter the unimaginable. Well, all that sounds good, but you know us. What do we need? Scripture. We need scripture. And if anybody ever gives you a prophecy, if anybody ever gives you, I got a word for you, and the Lord says this, and the Lord says that, all that might be good. It all it might be fine. What are you looking for? Scripture. I need some word to not only back this up, but to be a foundation for it. Because I don't care how good it sounds. I don't care if it rhymes. <laughs> Rhyme is not what makes something true. What makes something true is that it's based on Scripture. And the Scripture the Lord's given us for this is here in the book of Isaiah chapter 43. He said in verse 18, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing and it will spring forth. Shall you not know it? 
And this is what the new thing looks like. This is how you know the new thing is a God thing. He said, I'll make a road in the wilderness and a river in the desert. That's how you know this new thing is of God. Now, I'm going to have to pace myself here because I think I got two or three messages yesterday and I don't want to try to give them all to you at once. But I'm going to give you a statement and I want you to kind of put it in your pocket and the Lord will build on this for us later on. But just be aware that this word, God is doing a new thing. Yes, it's an exciting word. It's also a word of warning. There is a warning that comes with it. And this is the warning. For everything that God is and everything that God does, Satan offers a counterfeit. Always, every time. And if you study a counterfeit or what a counterfeit is, we have an understanding of it to a certain degree. We've all experienced it in culture and the world we live in. A counterfeit is just something that's made to look like something else. Now, there are a lot of things that are made to look like other things. Their design is based on that. But a counterfeit takes it one step further. It's not just something that's made to look like something else. It's something to, that's made to look like something else with the intent to deceive. That's literally the definition of the word counterfeit. Something made in the image or made to look like something else with the intent to deceive you, to deceive you into thinking this thing is that thing. And for all that God is and for all that God does, Satan offers a counterfeit. So when the Lord says, I'm doing a new thing, that's an exciting word, but it's also a warning. That also should tell you there will come things this year if they haven't come already that, hey, this is new. This is shiny. Isn't this pretty? This must be God. And what you and I are going to have to do this year, maybe in a way we never have before, is seek the Lord to the place where we don't fall for the fake. We don't buy the lie. We don't buy the counterfeit. And the only way to know the difference between what's real and what's fake, what's true and what's counterfeit and this is what we're going to have to get into in the weeks that come. The scripture says you have to test it. You have to test it. The same thing's true with natural material products, things that people try to sell and pass off. Oh, this is a real high-end thing. You know what? I'll cut you a deal. <laughs> yeah, but if you put that thing under some scrutiny, if you put that thing to the test and you find out many times on the outside, it looks a lot like the real, but, but show me what's inside. It's the inside that can't be duplicated. So we'll talk more about that, but I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as we dig into this more today. Isaiah chapter 43, again, this time let me read it to you, verse 18 and 19 from the Good News Translation. The Lord says, do not cling to events of the past or dwell on what happened long ago. Watch. Somebody say, watch. watch. To me, that says, wake up, right? Pay attention. Be watching for the new thing that I'm going to do. There may be some other new things that are taking place. Watch for the thing he said I'm doing. Watch for the new thing I'm going to do. 
He said, it's happening already and you can see it now. I'm going to make a road through the wilderness and give you streams of water there. So again, that's how we know that this new thing is a God thing. This is what it looks like, a road. It looks like a road in a place, actually the last place you'd ever expect to see a road. It looks like a river in the last place you would ever expect to see a river. But that's okay, because we're expecting the uncommon, aren't we? And when we see it, we're gonna embrace it. And what that's gonna result in is you and I encountering things unimaginable. And this road is not just a road, it's a road in the wilderness. If you look up wilderness and just get a better understanding of what it means, the actual definition of it is a pathless area, a wilderness, no roads there. And you go back and study scriptures about the wilderness and you see how God's people spent decades in the wilderness. It was never his plan. It was never his will. And yet they did because of their own stubbornness, because of their own disobedience. That's what kept them in the wilderness. And they, they wandered aimlessly in circles for year after year after year. That is indicative of life in the wilderness. And if you've been stuck in the wilderness spiritually, if you've been stuck in a wilderness, even, even in some natural ways in your life, your marriage, your finances, your job, your family, and it just feels like you've been going in circles, this is one of the things that has so trained us to not expect anything out of the ordinary. The world calls it the grind, the daily grind. Here we go again, up at the same time, go through the same routine, go to the same job with the same people, put up with the same stuff all day, come home, do the routine at night, go to bed, and then get up and do it again and again and again. And because of that, nobody's expecting anything out of the ordinary. That's called wilderness living. But how many of you would be so grateful after 40 years of wandering as aimlessly in the wilderness to, to be walking along and all of a sudden in front of you, there's a road? There's a road? What does a road mean? A lot of things. It's direction. You know what a road in the wilderness, a road in the wilderness means? We're out of here. I found a road. I found a road and we can get out of this place. A river in the desert's the same way. And this word desert and wilderness, they're really interchangeable. They're, they're words that are often translated as one or the other, wilderness, desert, desert, wilderness. And that's why this one translation says, I'm gonna put a, a road in the wilderness and, and put streams, of, uh, uh, put a river there. It's the same place. The last thing you'd expect to see in a desert is a river in a dry, lifeless place and unproductive to come across a river. Well, a river in the desert is a lifesaver because there's water and there's life and all that to say, this is what the Lord's saying he's going to do for us in this year and beyond a new thing. Somebody say a new thing. Thank you, Lord. A new thing. When he said new, do a little study on this. It's, it's a word that means fresh, unused, original, something that's never existed before, just beginning and better than what went before. Unprecedented, uncommon, 
unheard of. So when he said, I'm doing a new thing, he said, I'm doing a fresh thing. I'm doing an unused thing. I'm doing something that's never existed before. I'm doing something that's better than what went before. I'm doing something unprecedented, something uncommon, something unheard of. And then he said, watch for it. And like we've already established, there's two things that you and I are going to have to do in cooperation with this word if we're going to see it come to pass. The first thing he said was forget. Forget what was behind you. Don't cling to the events of the past. And like we said last week, like Sarah ministered a couple of weeks ago, it takes faith to forget. The past likes to hang on to you. Have you noticed that? The past will try to cling to you. And with a death grip, the past tries to hold on so tight, it takes faith to forget it. The same way it takes faith to remind yourself of the promises of God when everything you see and feel looks like it's contrary to the promise. It takes faith to bring to mind and remember, no, God said this, and if he said that, I can have that, and I will have that, and I will live in that, and I will walk in that. That's faith reminding yourself of the promise. Well, the same faith that it takes to remember is the faith that it takes to forget. But you don't necessarily forget the events and, and it's like they've disappeared from your mind forever, but it's like Sarah was already ministering today. They've lost their grip on you. The, the power that was in the memory is no longer hanging over you. Are you with me? Yes. Faith to forget. What else are we going to have to do? Watch for it. Watch for it. I want to read to you something. This is from a book entitled Tongues Beyond the Upper Room. It's a book by a man named Kenneth Hagin, who many of you are familiar with. Some of you may not be. He's a ministry. He's gone on to be with the Lord now. But uh, my grandfather and so many others came up under his ministry and received from him for decades. And this was an area of ministry that he was very proficient in. And I want to read something to you from this book that he wrote. So give me just a couple of minutes here. Pay careful attention to what he said, but I want you, as you hear it, to also connect it to what the Lord's saying to us about a new thing. Brother Hagin said, when you've preached as long as I have, almost seven decades, you can start to see some things come in waves. Let the Holy Spirit paint a picture for you this morning. You see things come in waves. He said, I can sense it in my spirit. There's another wave coming. Get ready for it. Does that sound like, behold, I'm doing a new thing? another wave coming. He said, now it isn't coming just because God said it's coming. We are going to have to have to enter into a deeper realm of prayer and give birth to that which God wants to do. God is saying, I'm doing a new thing, but the new thing isn't coming. He's saying, just because God said he's doing it, it's coming when you and I begin to cooperate with it. And he's saying the key here to cooperation is in prayer. He said, if you've ever gone down to the ocean and watched the waves come in, you know that before a wave ever breaks on the shore, it has its beginnings way out in the deeper waters of the ocean. The potential energy of the wave begins long before you ever see the final result washing up on the shore. Well, that's what praying in tongues accomplishes in the spirit realm. When you pray in tongues, you give impetus to the next move of God's spirit before that spiritual wave is ever seen with your natural eyes. 
He said, when I talk to other ministers, I realize we all have the same thing in our spirits. Now, we haven't necessarily communicated with each other in the natural. There's just something in our spirits that tells us another wave is coming. There's something in our spirits that tells us God's doing a new thing. So what do we do about it? He said, well, we determine that we're not going to stay with the old wave and ride it into the shore only to be left high and dry on the sand. Instead, we turn around and we start swimming back out to the deep part of the ocean so we can get on the next wave, the next mighty move of God's spirit on this earth. And how do we swim back out to the deep? By setting aside time and dedicating ourselves to fellowship with the Father and to pray in the Holy Ghost. But if we're going to usher in the next mighty move of God's Spirit, or we might say it like this, if we're going to usher in this new thing God wants to do, in these last days, judgment must begin at the house of God. And there's so much more God wants to do for His people, but listen to this. He can't do what He wants to do until Christians humble themselves and forget. Forget their petty little differences and come together in unity to enter the realm of the Spirit in prayer. This is what he's saying. You'll never see the new thing. You'll never catch this next new wave of the Spirit of God unless and until you forget some stuff. Forget your petty little differences, he said. Come together in unity and enter into the realm of the Spirit in prayer. He said God is calling us to answer his call to pray in these last days. Jesus is coming soon. Does anybody believe that? Thank you, Lord. But before he comes, there is something he wants to do. And what he does on this earth, he will do through us, his body. Now, the body has no coordination when half of its members are going one way and the other half are going the other way. So God is getting us ready. He's calling us to a common goal, to yield. Somebody say, to yield. To yield to the prompting of the Holy Ghost to pray in other tongues. The next wave is about to burst upon us in all of its glory, and every one of us should be determined not to miss it. Every one of us, he said, should be determined not to miss it. Well, what does that say to you? You can miss it. It's happening every day. It shouldn't come to us as a surprise to hear God's doing a new thing. Why? He's always doing a new thing. He's been creating ever since he said light be. He didn't create that day and stop. His creative power has been working in the earth since day one. And he's never stopped. So he's always doing a new thing. And yet it's getting right past people every single day. They're unaware of it. And if they're unaware of it, they're not participating in it. They're not cooperating with it. And if they're not cooperating with it, they're certainly not receiving anything from it. So again, we could say all day, God's doing a new thing, but unless we're watching for it, unless we're forgetting the past, unless we're pressing in and cooperating with it, it will get right past us. And what Brother Hagin is saying here, and I believe the Spirit of God is saying to us, we have to determine right now at the beginning of this year, it ain't getting past me. Anybody else? I'm determined. I'm not missing this. This next wave of the Spirit of God in what He wants to do and how He wants to do it, I'm not missing it. Amen. You got to make that same determination. 
He said, we've seen the wave called the healing revival. We've seen the wave called the charismatic movement. We've seen the wave of faith and of the teaching of God's word. But now another wave is coming. It's the wave of the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Lord. He said, oh yes, we've seen the power of the Holy Ghost in a limited fashion, but a wave is coming that will bring his power on a higher level and in a far greater measure than we have seen heretofore. I can see that wave way out yonder on the deep waters. It's coming. The waves of the Holy Ghost power are building higher. Don't stay on the old wave of yesterday's move of the Spirit. Swim out to the deep waters of the Spirit realm by praying in the Holy Ghost. Get on the next wave of God's purposes for this hour. Then keep on praying so you can ride that new wave as it builds and builds in divine power and glory. He said, I'm convinced that the wave that is coming will be twice as high as the healing wave, the charismatic wave, or the faith wave. In fact, it will be twice as high as all of them put together. I believe it's going to be the wave that sweeps us right into the shores of the glory world. Thank you, Lord. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. The thing to understand about this and what the Lord is saying to us when he says, I'm doing a new thing, He's not saying I'm getting rid of or doing away with anything that came before it. I'm building on top of it. So when Brother Hagin said, we've seen the, the um, healing, the wave of healing revival, he's referring to things that took place in our nation back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And then he said, we've seen the charismatic wave. Well, does that mean God's done healing? Absolutely not. We know that. He's building on top of that. The charismatic wave, as, as Brother Hagen called it. Charismatic, does anybody see a word, that root word, charis? There should have been a lot of people in here who saw that real quick. It's a word that just means grace. Where the body of Christ and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is full and overflowing with grace and grace is charismatic. Another word for that, for, for charis is not just grace, but gift, a place where the gifts of the spirit are in operation. And in case you were wondering, yeah, we're that kind of church. <laughs> One of the major graces and gifts of the spirit is just his help, his help. Is there anybody in this place that would raise a hand and acknowledge, I need some help? Well, good. You're in a charismatic place, a place that believes in the help of the Holy Ghost, the help of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the gifts of the Spirit are. You see enlisted in Scripture. We won't go through all of them today, but the, the, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge and the gifts of healing and so on and so on and so on. All of those things are just the Holy Ghost saying, hey, can I help you with that? That's what a word of wisdom is. Hey, let me help you with this. And he gives you something you wouldn't know on your own. That's what a word of knowledge is. It's the Holy Ghost saying, hey, I can help you with that. Because you can't know that on your own. Anybody else interested in that kind of help? Yeah. Well, Brother Hagin's saying we've seen that wave of the healing revival building on top of that, that wave of the, the charismatic, the gifts of the Spirit building on top of that, the wave of faith and strong teaching on faith. Does that mean any of these things are done away with because God's saying I'm doing a new thing? No. I promise you we are not done teaching on faith. 
This is the thing that pleases God. You think God's done with faith? No, but we're building. There's a wave that's building. And I told you last week, I don't know that I can see it so clearly. And even still, I don't see the end of it, but I see more clearly today than I did even just a few days ago. This new thing God's doing in not just in our church, but in you, in your own heart. I know what it is. It's a move of the Holy Ghost. A, the moving of the Holy Spirit in a way we've never seen before. Is there anybody open to that? I told you. Everybody gets excited when you say, God's doing a new thing. Oh, glory to God, the new thing. But they stop being excited when the new thing shows up. Why? Because it's new. We didn't know it was going to be this new. But we wanted a new thing. We just wanted the new thing to look exactly like the old thing. But if the new thing shows up and it's a move of the Holy Spirit in an uncommon way, are you open to it? If it's a move of the Holy Ghost in an unusual way, are you open to it? Will you embrace it or will you resist it? Pray this if you're brave. Lord, do a new thing in me. I'm not just talking about a move of God in our church, although bring it on, Lord Jesus. It starts with the Lord being able to get in you, inside me. Do a new thing in my heart, in my mind, in my life, and let it overflow. Amen? I know this. Whatever it is, it's a move of the Holy Spirit. So let's talk just for a few minutes today about the Holy Spirit, and we'll go back over some things we touched on last week and build on it. Go with me, please, to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 to start with. And the book of Acts is a great place to dig in if you want to know more about the Holy Spirit, who He is, what He is, how He operates. That's what this entire book of the Bible is all about, the way the Holy Spirit moved through the church. Starting in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, this is just after Jesus has been resurrected from the dead and he's appeared several times to his disciples and about 500 other people. And one of the last things he says to them before he ascends to heaven, Acts chapter 1, verse 4, it says, being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them, do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait. We might say it like this, but watch, go there, wait and watch and expect the promise of the Father. Now, what is that promise? You go back to John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, when Jesus begins introducing the, for lack of a better word, idea of the Holy Spirit to his disciples. And at first, they were not so receptive. We talked about this some. They were not so receptive to this idea because Jesus said for the Holy Spirit, the helper to come to you, I have to go away. And they said, mm, no, we don't want you to go away. It's better with you here. And Jesus said, actually, it's better if I go. So you're going to have to watch over the way you pray sometimes. Too many Christians are praying. I just wish Lord Jesus, you were here. 
if you would just come into my house, if you would just, if you just walk into this hospital room, I know they could be healed. If you were just here and the people just, oh, I just long to see Jesus. I just wish he was here. That's a wrong way to pray. It's a wrong way to pray because what he actually said is that it's better for you that he's not. That he's not here in the flesh where you see him with your own eyes. Why? Because then it takes no faith. He said, it's better for you if I go away because when I go away, I'm gonna send the helper. We don't want a helper, we want you. See, it was just too new for him. Just too new. We don't like this, this is new. But he said, no, you go to Jerusalem, don't leave there, wait and watch for the promise of the Father. Which he said, you've heard from me. Verse five, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, notice this, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the time or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power. Somebody say power. power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So get the picture. Jesus says, go, watch, wait, expect something new is coming. I'm doing a new thing. And they said, Ooh, goody. Is it at this time that you're going to do the thing where you restore the kingdom to Israel? Is that the new thing? Oh, please say that's the new thing. I would really like it if that was the new thing. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to go ahead and declare God's doing that new thing. Now pay attention here. We're going to have to be very watchful over our predetermined expectations of what the new thing is and what it should be and how it should look. Lord, at that time, will you be restoring the kingdom to Israel? Isn't it interesting? He says, I'm doing a new thing and they got politics on their mind. Is this a relative word, a relevant word for us today? God's doing a new thing. And people think politics. And what Jesus said to him, what did he say? It's not for you to know about that. In other words, get politics off your mind. Stop thinking about the politics. I'm talking to you about the power and you're talking about politics. He said, this is not what I'm even talking about right now. I'm talking to you about the power of the Holy Ghost coming upon you. And when it does, you're going to be a witness for me right here and a little further out and a little further out and to the ends of the earth. And they got politics on their mind. Now, I'm not saying you and I shouldn't be involved. We should be. We've got a God-given place in the political arena of our country. It's a good thing to be involved. It's a good thing to pray. It's a good thing to vote in line with scripture as much as is possible. But you're gonna have to be very watchful in 2024 and beyond that you are not feeding on politics day and night, night and day. You're gonna have to watch over that 
Because that strife-filled environment does its best to get on the inside. And I've experienced some of this. I've experienced, not even not too long ago, being in a place and ministering. If somebody came up to me after service and told me they were upset with me. Concerned was the word. I said, well, don't be concerned. <laughs> I said, well, what's your concern about? And it was politics. Somebody concerned that we as a church weren't doing enough, doing what they thought we should be doing in politics. Now, I had just preached an hour and it had nothing to do with any of that. And I could tell when this person came up, they didn't hear anything I said. They've been waiting for me to shut up for an hour to come talk to me about politics. And not recognizing that the strife that is in that world gets so on the inside of people that they get addicted to it and they think this is the thing God is doing. And if you're not a part of this thing, then you're not a part of what God's doing. And this individual started listing other people. This one loves America. This one loves America. In other words, you don't is what she's telling me. Is there any love in this? Huh? It's strife. I'm warning you, church. Be watchful over how much of this you're feeding on. I remember four years ago in an election cycle, I was on social media day after day, not posting. I never posted. I never wrote anything. I was looking for other people fighting. It became entertainment to me. <laughs> I started following people who I know, who I knew would stir the pot, poke the bear, you know what I mean? And watch the fights that would take place. And the Spirit of God got all over me about that. And he said, you need to cut that off. It's getting in you. So I did, man. I cut it off. You're going to have to watch over that. And not expect that the new thing must be this thing. These guys. At this time, is this when the, the political stuff's going to happen and you're going to restore the kingdom? He's like, guys, quit thinking politics. I'm talking about power. Why do you want to mess around in politics when I'm trying to talk to you about power? And if you are called into that world, don't you dare go into it without the power. Without the power of the Holy Ghost. And if we've got people in this congregation, you believe the assignment of God on your life is in that arena, we lift you up, we strengthen you, we pray for you, and we say, go in the power of the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Lord. So they did what he said. They went, they waited, they watched. Acts chapter two. Where does the time go? Gosh. Verse one, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Let me add a word to that scripture that, that, I, that I think will help us today. Suddenly there came a sound wave from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one sat upon each of them. Somebody say, this is new. <laughs> Have they ever experienced anything like this before? A sound filling the whole house. Peter looks at John and he's like, hey dude, your head's on fire. <laughs> this is new. This is new. And the result was, verse four, they were all filled 
with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And you know what happened here. As they're praying in other tongues, they come stumbling out of that upper room and without taking the time to read the whole story, the men and the people that were in the city at that time people from all over the place who spoke different languages, many were amazed and they said, how is it we hear them in our language? Now, many people have tried to sort of take, I don't know how to say this, take what maybe many of you and I believe about speaking in tongues and say, no, that's not right. This is about a supernatural act where this person spoke a different language But the scripture didn't say, how is it they speak a different language? It said, how is it we hear in our language? You see where the miracle's taking place? And it lists the the people and the places and where all they were from. This is over a dozen different places. And every person there is hearing in their own language. And the scripture even tells us what they were hearing. They were hearing these disciples declare the wondrous works of God. But if you keep reading, you also hear, let me find this for us. Verse 13, Acts chapter two. Well, back up. He said, it says in verse 12, they were amazed, they were perplexed, saying to one another, what could this mean? But verse 13, others mocked them. Others mocked saying they're full of new wine. So here you have exactly what happens every time God does a new thing. The same thing happens every time. It happened in Jesus' ministry. There were people, crowds of people that were astonished and amazed at every word that came out of his mouth, at every miracle worked by his hands. And there were many, many people that saw it and gave glory to God. And they said, this is it. This is him. This is what we've been expecting. This is the one we've been believing for. And at the same time, there was another group of people saying, he's full of the devil. Somebody's wrong. It cannot be both. You cannot have this is God and it also be the devil. Somebody's wrong. Yet those two groups existed simultaneously right next to each other and they still exist today. Every time God does something new in the earth, there are people that are going glory to God. This is it. This is him. We see it in his word. This is a river out or a road out of the wilderness. This is a river in the desert. And there's also another group of people. And usually this one over here is much bigger. You'll always find more people that say heresy. These people mocked saying they're drunk. They're drunk. Now you have never, never have you ever come across somebody speaking Spanish and said they must be drunk. (laughs) Have you? Do you hear that guy? He's speaking French. Must be drunk. (laughs) Not necessarily. (laughs) See, this goes to further prove what was coming out of their mouths was not just a natural language. 
Nobody assumes somebody's drunk just because they're speaking in another natural language. There was something going on in the way these people were praying and praising and speaking. Many people said, this is good as God. Other people said, these idiots are drunk. That's why Peter, who is now full of the Holy Ghost, stands up and begins to preach. And the first thing he says, men and brethren, these men are not drunk like you think they are. In other words, okay, they're drunk, but not like that. And he began to preach. Now you got to remember who this is. This is Peter, who a few days ago was like, I don't know him. I'm not with him. Who just a few days ago was so depressed over the crucifixion and, and his own uh, denial of Jesus that he said, I'm done with ministry. I'm out. I'm going back to fishing. I'm going back to what I was doing before I was in the ministry. And Jesus had to call him back into it. Now here's a guy, because he got full of the Holy Spirit, he stands up and not only does he preach, he preaches with power. He preaches with precision. He preaches with clarity. And go back and read it sometime. He starts recalling things from the Old Testament. This is a fisherman. And he starts talking about what David said. And he starts talking about how this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. You remember this? that in the last days I would pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters would prophesy and your, your old men would, would see visions and your young men would dream dreams or maybe I've got that backwards. But he began to prophesy and preach about the day that they were in and he said, this is that day. Hey, the new thing's here. The new thing is here. One of the things that caught my attention last week was what Peter said in that prophecy of Joel that along with the dreams and the visions and the prophesying, do you notice this? He said there would be signs in the heaven, signs in heaven, wonders below. I've had that on my heart so strong. Every night, it's my job once it gets dark outside to take the dog out. And we have this puppy and I got to take him out every night and we're on a little bit of land and there's not a lot of light around us. So often I'll turn on the porch light or the, the path lights because, you know, we don't always know what's out there. Uh, but let's see what night. Thursday night last week, I, want, I took the dog out, but I made this conscious decision. I'm not going to turn the lights on because I like looking at the sky. And we, we get a good star show out at our place. And every night I look up and every night I say, Lord, show me something. He said he'd put signs up there. Now, what does a sign do? It catches your attention. Yes, signs can give direction. They can give information. But above all, a sign is there to catch your attention. You've been driving down the road and you saw a sign over here or over there and it caught your attention. This is what signs do. And every night I go out there, Lord, show me something. I want to see. And I have this app on my phone that I can hold up to the sky and it shows me what stars I'm looking at. Tells me what they are and where they are and, and how far they are. You ever just try to wrap your brain around something that's 2,000 light years away? Man, awesome. Well, Thursday night I went out there and 
It was really cold. It was probably below zero. And there was some snow in the air and I'm looking up and it was kind of foggy, couldn't see a whole lot. So I let Gus do what Gus does out in the yard. And as I turned to come back in, I saw something. Now remember, he's doing a new thing. And part of the new thing, he said, I'm gonna put some signs and I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna catch your attention. And it caught my attention. Actually guys, do we have that picture? Do you need a sec? You got it? Can we bring those lights down? Bring those lights down just for a second for me. This is the view from my porch Thursday night. And man, it caught my attention. You know what I thought? He's doing a new thing. Now, when I came in, I said, Sarah, Jesse, come here. You got to see this. And my daughter, Jesse, standing at the door looking at it. She goes, is Jesus coming back? <laughs> Which of course the answer is yes. <laughs> you know, right this second, could be. This caught my attention. He said, I'm going to put signs in the heavens. And what the signs he said would be, would be blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And I started doing a little study on that. The word vapor means a substance that suspends in air. Now you can study this and, and somebody will say, well, you know, these are the ice pillars. These are the light pillars. And what happens is it's refractory, light refracting off ice and the ice has to be shaped a particular way and the temperature has to be exactly right and the particles have to be a certain distance from each other. So I don't think this is really supernatural. And I just want to say to people sometimes, congratulations, you figured out how God does it. <laughs> now, I'm not one of these guys that could tell you exactly what it means, but I will say this, he got my attention. Amen. He got my attention. Thank you guys. You can bring that down. He's doing a new thing. And I tell you this, it is a move of the Holy Spirit. Much like what we see here in the book of Acts. Now let me try to get this in before we run out of time here. Thank you, Lord. Peter went on. He preached, he said, down in verse 37, the Bible says, after Peter preached, the people responded, and when they heard this, it says they were cut to the heart, and Peter, and uh, they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Praise you, Lord. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, when he's talking about receiving that gift, 2,000 years ago, that was a new thing. And I know many of you, probably a lot like me, you received that gift maybe decades ago. Is there anybody that would raise a hand and say, yeah, I received that gift? the gift of the Holy Spirit. You received that gift? How many received that 10 years ago, 20 years ago? A long time ago, right? So on one hand, that doesn't sound like the new thing, does it? Well, the Bible said in the book of Ephesians, don't be drunk with wine. Here we go with the same parallel. 
but be filled with the Spirit. And what's interesting is he wrote that to people who were filled with the Spirit. People, this was a tongue-talking church. He wrote that to people who had already received that gift. Why would you have to write to people? Why would you have to tell people who've already received the gift to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because just because you were filled once years ago doesn't mean you're filled today. There is one initial reception or receiving of the Holy Spirit, but there are many, 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 many infillings that come after that. In fact, these same people in Acts chapter two that were filled with the Holy Spirit, two chapters later in chapter four, after they've been sufficiently threatened by the, by the religious leaders and said, y'all stop preaching in that name or we're gonna kill you. They went back, the Bible says, to their own company and they began to pray. And they said, Lord, look on their threats and grant us boldness by stretching forth your hand to heal. And God so loved this prayer that the Bible says the place where they were was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Wait a second. They were all just filled in chapter two, which means you can get filled again. Now I meant to get to this about 35 minutes ago, but here we are. The parallel he draws here in being filled with the Spirit, we see it in Acts 2 and in Ephesians 5, is being drunk. It's being drunk. People saw them and assumed they were drunk. In Ephesians 5, he said, don't be drunk with wine, be drunk like this. And he's telling us, even if you were filled long ago, I'm doing a new thing. Or in other words, I'm gonna fill you up again. So the title of my message, which I wanted to give you a long time ago, not right before we leave, can I get a refill? Can I get a refill? Anybody else in here ready for a refill? A refill of the Holy Ghost? Glory to God. I'm ready for a refill. Thank you, Lord. How do you know you are in need of a refill? The cup's dry. That's a good indicator. It's time for a refill. If you've ever said, I just feel dry. I feel like my prayer life's dry and my relationship with God is dry. Oh, well, that's easy. You just need a refill. Can I get a refill, please? And what's the Lord saying? Oh yeah, I can give you a refill. What's another good indicator? You're ready for a refill, huh? You're thirsty. There's a desire on the inside for more. So you know what you need to be saying to the Lord? Come on. Can I get a refill? And he'll say, yes, I can get you a refill to be filled up again and again and again with the Holy Spirit. And I know it, church, there's a refill coming to this congregation. There's a refill coming as you and I, like Brother Hagin was saying, press into prayer and especially praying in the, in the Holy Spirit, praying in other tongues, glory to God. There's a refill coming. There's a refill coming. And you know, you and I drink of the Holy Ghost for many of the same reasons that people drink alcohol. Funny story. When I met Sarah and we began dating, I've told you some of this before, we lived in separate states. She was in Missouri, I was in Texas. 
And we were already head over heels. I mean, we knew where this was going. But at one point I came to visit her and she said, I have to ask you something and I just need you to be honest with me. Tell me the truth. She said, um, I heard something about you and I just need to know if it's true. She said, I heard you're a mean drunk. And I started laughing so hard. Word had traveled from Texas to Missouri to her and said, you need to watch out. When Jeremy drinks, he gets real angry. And I'm laughing. She's like, why are you laughing? I said, Sarah, at the time I was 27. I said, Sarah, I've never had a drink of alcohol in my life. I've never had so much as a sip of a beer or a sip of wine. I've never, I've, it's never touched my lip. I've never had any alcohol. No, I'm not a mean drunk. I don't drink. I was like, okay, well, good. I don't drink either. Like, great. You don't drink. I don't drink. Great. We don't drink. And it wasn't until we went on our honeymoon that we really discovered what a big deal drinking is and what a part of the culture it is. We got married September 1st, 2007. The next day, we flew to Cancun, Mexico. And when we checked in at the hotel, upon check-in, the welcome team was there to greet us with two glasses of champagne. And we said, no thanks. And you would have thought we had insulted their parents or something personal. No, 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 it's free, it's free, you drink, it's free. Oh, no, thank you. And they couldn't figure out what was going on because we, we wouldn't drink. And then we had set up this spa massage appointment thing that, that came with chocolate-covered strawberries. And guess what else? Champagne, alcohol, here. And so before, I said, hey, I know that package comes with that. Could, could we get something else? Do you have Sprite? <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 it's free. It's free, you drink. No, 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 uh, no, no, that's right. We actually, we don't drink alcohol. You know, drink? And they couldn't figure out. Sarah, am I telling the truth? And we saw them literally have to get on the phone. It's uh, another bottle. Somebody, uh, Pearson's no drink. No drink. Could not figure out why we wouldn't, why we didn't. One night we went to a restaurant at the hotel. And this particular restaurant was like a Japanese style, you know, where they cook it in front of you. Nothing's better than Japanese food in Cancun, I tell you. A lot of things are better, but there wasn't a lot of people in the restaurant. They sat us down and there's another couple sitting right there. We don't know them. And they come to the table and it's just the four of us. And the waitress says, what can I get you to drink? And we didn't order alcohol. We had Coke with a lime. That was our honeymoon drink which I'm not sure is all that much better for you, but still, we're not drinking alcohol. And the couple sitting next to us ordered iced tea. And I poked Sarah, I was like, they got iced tea. They didn't order alcohol. I wonder if they're saved. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it was so counterculture. And we actually struck up a conversation with them, like, hey, where are you guys from? We said, Fort Worth. And like, no way, we're from Dallas. And we get to talking, they're like, what do you do? We're in ministry. No way, we're in ministry. 
they said, we passed your church in Dallas. I was like, I knew you guys were saved. You didn't order any drinks. And they said, we knew you were saved. You didn't order any alcohol. See, neither of us, we just didn't grow up around it. It wasn't in our home, you know? My dad growing up, his dad was an alcoholic for a lot of his childhood, and, and he saw the effect that it had on his home, and, and, and then he really saw the effect when my grandfather got delivered of that, and the effect that had on his home, so my dad never had a taste for it. My mom grew up around it because one side of her family owned a bar on the north side of Fort Worth, and as a six-year-old little girl, when she would go get babysat by her grandparents, it was at the bar, and she was around people drinking all the time. Really put a distaste in her mouth for it, so we just didn't have it in our house. Sarah didn't have it in her house, just didn't grow up around it, and so we've just never had a taste for it, and, and that was over 16 years ago that we got married to this day. We don't. That's just something that's not a part of our lives, so I don't don't really have an understanding much of, of people who do drink and, and the reason why, so I Googled. <laughs> why do people drink? And as I studied it, I realized, hey, wait a second. That's the same reason I drink this. Amen. I don't drink that, but I do drink this. Amen. And it's for the same reason. You wanna know some of the big reasons people drink? We're almost done. <laughs> Here's one of the big ones, to forget. You notice that before? People drink and they have found that alcohol helps them forget. But the problem is, it's not a permanent forgetting. And when the effects of it wear off, all the pain of what they were trying to forget is still there, if not worse. You got some things you want to forget? Try this drink. Try this one. What is this? The power of the Holy Ghost to drink of the Holy Spirit. You want to know one of the big reasons people drink? And won't go through all of them, but I noticed this was on every list. Stress. One of the big reasons people drink alcohol is to relieve stress. Well, I don't drink alcohol, but I do drink this. And I have found that it works great on stress to pray in the Holy Ghost, to receive from the Holy Ghost, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You got some stress you've been needing to handle? Stop drinking that. Start drinking this, glory to God. What do you say? Don't be drunk with wine. That'll ruin your life, one translation says. But fill up on the Holy Ghost. Amen? Can I get a refill? Anybody else ready for a refill of the Holy Ghost? Stand up with me. Come on, stand on your feet. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.